Hi, I'm Phil Ranta, the host of NFT Stories Podcast. Every week we tell another story from this multi-billion dollar market alongside the artists, collectors, companies, and entrepreneurs that are making it all happen. A lot of people just lost a lot of money in the cryptocurrency and NFT market. It's pretty bleak in a lot of sectors right now. Inflation is out of control globally. Gas prices are at an all-time high, though in America it's not nearly as high as many places overseas that depend on Russian oil. And food prices have spiked. For those playing the stock market, tech stocks have crumbled. Coinbase in particular is down $51 billion in valuation. And for those who are hedging their investments with cryptocurrency, they felt the pain hard. Bitcoin is down 53%. Ethereum's co-founder says he's no longer a billionaire after the crash. And for those poor, poor souls that invested in the now ironically named stablecoins from Terra, including the popular Luna, that went to zero. Ouch. But what about NFTs? Let's just say many are on sale. And that's not a good thing for collectors. Let me explain. Let's say you have a board ape that's worth 100 Ether. If Ether is at $4,800, its peak, that means your ape is worth $480,000. But at the time of this writing, Ether is at around $2,000, meaning your ape is now worth $200,000, less than half. Add that to the falling price of ApeCoin, and you're seeing a lot of boredom turn into depression. But as Jonathan Sachs once said, when others are selling, buy. When others are buying, sell. I don't want to give financial advice because I'm not much of a gambler, but I wanted to wrap my head around what this bear market, often dubbed a crypto winter, means for the crypto and NFT markets in the long term. So I turned to my friend Seth Shapiro, a two-time Emmy winner, a former governor at the Television Academy, and one of the first guys that got me into both crypto and NFTs well before they were household topics. He spent the past few years advising companies in these spaces and works as a trader, so he's looked at all angles of this topic. A few quick notes. None of this is financial advice. The financial world is chaos, and anyone that says they know what will happen next is just guessing confidently. Also, there are a few swear words, so if that offends you, please skip to the next episode. So, let's put on our parkas and experience this crypto winter together. Seth Shapiro, thank you so much for being on the NFT Stories podcast. It's great to have you here. Yeah, it's good to see you again, Phil. Absolutely, you too. Well, as you know, we're going through this. Uh, many have dubbed it a crypto winter, although it's a little early to say whether it's a winter or a downturn or a bear market or whatever you want to call it. You are an expert when it comes to all things crypto and NFTs. So I'd love it just in your own words to tell us what's happening in the crypto market right now. There was a, For a long time, there was a thought that crypto was an un uncorrelated asset, meaning that crypto sort of traded its own on its own uh, and was potentially a hedge. So you've heard uh, the people often call Bitcoin digital gold fill. So maybe the thought was that like gold, which sort of in theory should spike um, when other things fall, um, that, that Bitcoin would perform like that. That didn't happen in, in 2020, in March of 20, 
uh, as the global markets were tanking, there was the thought, well, maybe people are going to go into crypto because, um, you know, things are so uncertain. That didn't happen. It didn't happen with gold either. Didn't happen with silver too much. So um, weird. So, so what we have seen is a situation where crypto is trading almost in lockstep, lockstep with the NASDAQ um, with big tech. And so when big tech comes down, crypto comes hard and often even harder because in, with, with assets that are more volatile, what's a good way to define volatility? It's sort of like when things swing, it's, it's got more play. So when things go up, they go up higher. And when they come down, they go down lower. So as opposed to a bond or like a really kind of uh, stereotypical company that your grandfather would buy you stock in when you graduated from high school, like GE or something. Those are like sure. the things that like just sort of stay pretty flat. They're super non-volatile. Crypto's the opposite. It's kind of the most volatile thing. And so the thought was that um, crypto would sort of remain its own asset but as as more money has flowed into crypto and as more financial institutions have bought it and it's become a larger part of the mainstream financial sector it has more and more started to trade pretty much like tesla as a matter of fact we're not doing video now but if i put up a tesla chart from the last six months and i put up a you know an aggregate coin market cap crypto chart they'd look very similar yeah, that's so interesting because a lot of people want to lament that this is the scam is up on crypto and it was never worth anything. And it was always uh, an MLM scam. A lot of people want to tell that story, but it sounds like if it's that correlated to the price of something like a Tesla or all of the tech stocks, which I know are down because I own a lot of tech stocks, it's been a bad year for me, then it's really more about how people feel about technology or futurism as a sector, right? Well, it's fear. So like there's actually a, um, something called the fear and greed index, which um, I don't remember who started it, but there's actually a tool that I have on my computer that a lot of traders use, um, which is a measure. I think it's based on the VIX and some other measures, which are like on days where greed is high, the market, you know, those are, uh, you know, there are days when people are super optimistic and super bullish and think that things are going to go up and up forever. And there are periods of fear where people sell and think that things are going to hell in a handbasket. And we're in one of those periods where people are just afraid. Um, and it's not necessarily got anything to do with crypto. It's got to, it started Ukraine. Um, uh, you know, obviously, supply chain shortages had a lot to do with it. Um, then, you know, the idea of monkeypox and inflation being run away and then sort of fill the old the thing hanging on over all of this. And um, like, I know it's not exactly what people want to hear about when they talk about crypto is there has never been uh, in the history of crypto an inflation positive environment where like we've, we've had pretty low interest rates. Inflation's been under control. This is the first time since, you know. 2008 where interest rates are getting hiked and hiked and people aren't sure how far up they're going to go and so um, that's another thing that's contributing to the fear because when interest rates go up people tend to traditionally uh, move from stocks to bonds because interest rates are high when you're paying your loan but in theory it means you can make more lending money which is what a bond is so a lot of money theoretically goes into more uh, secure stable conservative investments like bonds but in any event what it's causing is a risk-off environment where people aren't putting that kind of money into 
into into big tech or things that are risky. And, and as a corollary to like what you're saying, um, that has nothing to do with the actual substance of the matter. I spent most of Friday with NVIDIA uh, on a project. Mm -hmm. And I mean, the things they are doing will blow your mind. I mean, you know a lot of them, but sure, um, sure. after spending four hours with these guys, and I mean, they're clearly the most innovative chip stock in the world. Um, and they're doing all sorts of obviously amazing things in, in AI and they produce most of the, or many of the GPUs that actually run crypto mining equipment, everything. Look at them. I don't have a chart in front of me, but they're probably off 30% for this year. Apple can't catch a bid and has broken through 140, which was supposed to be support. So it's not just crypto. All of this other stuff is happening too. So that that's that's in a sense good news, I think. I mean, I find that very interesting because it's the the, the people who are saying that this is a. I mean, I guess this is a good question for you. Was this a a bubble that's getting cleared out, or is this a an overcorrection for people selling off, or does this just simply not have really as much of a bearing on how people feel about crypto as much as it's just kind of a thing that's happening to the market? That's a, that's a, an excellent question. Uh, really good. So we just kind of dealt with, uh, however, I forgot how you just put it, but things are just happening. However you just put, we've just kind of dealt with, it's not the good news, but it's the sort of macro stuff that's going on that has absolutely zero to do with crypto. But now let's talk about crypto. Um, the Terra sure. Luna event is not good. Um, so for those who aren't familiar with it, um, Terra became uh, a top, 15 uh, cryptocurrency. Um, it is backed by. Uh, uh, so there's a relationship between a stable coin, which is a coin pegged to the US dollar that was called Terra. And it was backed by um, a very in, a, a complex mechanism um, that involved another uh, cryptocurrency called Luna. And it's what was known as an algorithmic stable coin, what, where there's a series of pretty complex math that uh, involves um, computational or mathematical things that will happen to support the cryptocurrency or the, the stablecoin maintaining its peg. So Terra, uh, one UST should always equal one USD, one US dollar as we all, you know, greenbacks, the real thing. Um, and uh, there is now pretty clear was a, a calculated, very, a uh, very methodical, premeditated attack on the mechanism behind Terra and Luna, and um, I don't, I don't know how much you want to go into it. I can, I don't know how how much your audience cares, but we could talk about it. But there was there was a specific liquidity mechanism that happened, and one big buyer. And we don't know, you know, there's a lot of rumors about who it was, whether it sure. was Citadel or BlackRock or a major financial institution that just said, "Okay, fuckers, you want to play our game?" I'm sorry, but it, okay, guys, you want to play no, our game? Yeah. Okay, fuckers, you want to dance? Let's dance. You want to play Wall Street? Let's play Wall Street. And they targeted and Do Kwan, actually, there's a tweet which I can send you that somebody sent me, which is Do Kwan on Twitter, the founder of this of this these currencies. Apparently, somebody tweeted him once and said, you know, in the event of an adverse uh, occurrence, when this, this happens, you know, uh, uh, couldn't an attack bring you down to zero? And he said, I don't have time for these kind of stupid questions or something like that. So there is kind of a sense among some people in crypto that be careful what you say. And so anyway, long story short, there was a multi-billion dollar currency that went literally to zero in 24 hours. And it was, you know, horrific 
for the investors in it. I mean, people, and, and there were a lot of big funds who were in Luna. This was a big, very highly regarded project um, with very sophisticated mathematical models, theoretically. And so that a lot of the, a lot of the blood in the water came out from that. Having said that, mm-hmm. going back to sort of the good news, um, the, the sort of all time, as you know, the all time catastrophic event in crypto was the Mt. Gox event where um, the first major Bitcoin um, um, uh, exchange had 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 people lose. I mean, by today's standards, an insanely huge amount of money. Bitcoin wasn't worth very much at the time, but people got a lot of their Bitcoin stolen and that's still working its way through the court. In orders of magnitude, this is nothing like that. That was a much bigger uh, failure or attack vector at a time when this business was still nascent and it survived and it went on and it continued. So I don't think there's any sense among people who've been around that in any way the, the basic thesis around Bitcoin and, and probably not the basic uh, basic uh, thesis around ETH are in any way affected by any of this. Shit. this things come, they go, they go up, they go down. There's still the fight to have a spot uh, Bitcoin uh, ETF. If actually Wall Street treated, in my personal opinion, if, if Bitcoin were treated more equitably, the price would be a lot higher than it is. There are things, you know, Bitcoin is essentially traded by a lot of financial institutions um, as a futures product, there's a futures product against Bitcoin, which is the biggest one of the big funds, and that creates its own distortions and opportunities to manipulate. So, I don't think there's any fundamental attack on the basic uh, bull thesis for crypto. But we may go into a global recession, mm-hmm. and that won't be good for for crypto. So, yeah, absolutely. Well, I think it was in January 2018. That's when Bitcoin fell down 65. percent But I think it was you actually. Because I was talking to you at the time about that, and I had some holdings. I'm not a huge investor. I'm not, you know, it's it's. I'm more of a builder than an investor, so I know I'll do a terrible job, so I don't do it as much. Um, but I think it was you that said, "Oh, don't worry, it'll come back." And I think based on that, I just put a thousand bucks into Bitcoin, oh, and then it went crazy, right? So, oh, so you know, at that point, I think it was you who told me at that time. Oh, don't worry. This is this will bounce right back, and then it did, and then some, and then huge, and I got my money out in time, and it was great, right? Um, so, do you oh, think good. this okay. kind of yeah. like that? We're just going through a downturn, and that's going to, of course, not financial advice, but do you think that this is going to come back? Another great, really wonderful comparison, uh, as usual, from you. So, at that point, Bitcoin had probably held. I mean, support for Bitcoin for a long time was around three thousand dollars. The high water point right before the period that you're discussing was around 19k. So if people got in at 3k, they were now uh, 6x from where they had been, and there was a lot of giddiness. And that's the point um, where it crashed back down to I don't remember offhand anymore how 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 much it fell. I remember it seemed to have sat around 10 or 11k, 9k for a while, but I think before that it went down to around six. Um, but I think mm-hmm. we probably talked around there and I said, no, get back in now. This is a good time. So, yeah, I absolutely think that 30,000 is the new support level for Bitcoin. And Bitcoin's going to there's going to the, the best thesis that my personally. And I think this is not irresponsible. And I do think a lot of the people who had these hundred thousand dollar Bitcoin models by year end, I'm, obviously they believed it in retrospect. Was it responsible for them to be so, you know, I don't know, hell bent on convincing the world. I mean, clearly they were very wrong and, and um, we are right. in a, in a winter or that, that, that bull run is certainly over. Um, 
but I think it seems really intuitively compelling, Phil, that when you see what happened in El Salvador and this meeting of 44 countries that happened, I think, this week to talk about Bitcoin and crypto, the notion of this thing, which is really seems to be working, right? It's incorruptible. No attacks have worked, really. Um, people are recruiting it more and more. You Like you said, you can buy $1,000 of Bitcoin. You can buy 50. You can buy 25. You can buy, you know, half a billion or whatever. It seems really intuitively compelling that as global currencies inflate and that the monetary supply of the dollar just gets in, you know, we print more and more money and, and all these things that it just becomes a stable store of value over time. And so I don't have like a model or anything, but it would seem to me that what one friend of mine said uh, makes sense, which is that it'll languish around 30,000. And then one day in the middle of the night when nobody really expects it, it'll start running and it'll stall and it'll run, it'll stall and run, but we will, we will get to a hundred grand. And then, you know, the, the thousand that you got in it at, at six will, you know, have 15 X. And um, so I do think absolutely that's going to happen. Now, the next question that you're probably going to ask is, you know, what about everything else? That's Bitcoin, right? So, right. Um, that was the, the whole, next question. You bet. <laughs> this, there's the whole Ethereum complex and then there's NFTs. But which one did you want to talk mm -hmm. about first? Well, I wanted to talk about uh, kind of altcoins in particular, because I feel like there was a ton of coins out there and a lot of them have fallen some of them have fallen all the way down now. I, it, it's hard for me to imagine a lot of these getting back up because uh, is a world of digital scarcity really scarcity when everybody's launching their own coin? Is this going to be one of those, the blue chips are going to be fine and everyone else is going to go away after this? Well, yeah, like your first thesis is spot on. So, uh, you know, I lived through, you know, crypto, the, the ICO hell uh, that many of us lived through who are involved either as investors or founders or in any way in that space, it's hard to um, overemphasize just how many things went to zero. And sometimes it was um, because the thing was larcenous and it was a Ponzi scheme. That's true. There are a lot of, you know, bad actors out there. But other there were some other really interesting things that, you know, fell, you know, fell victim to what's always true, which is when you go out to raise money, it, you know, it depends. It's the most fickle market in the world. Like I had a friend who had a really interesting idea for company, highly regarded lawyer, and he was running his copies of the prospectus for the company he was going to launch off, uh, you know, on September, uh, you know, on September 10th. Uh, 2001. And so like, yeah, mm -hmm. a lot of people did. It, it, so there's a lot of stuff that you can't control. Um, but the long and the short of it is that most things went to absolutely fucking zero. Like most ICOs right. lost everything. They didn't lose 50%. They didn't lose 75 cent percent and then come back, you know, to 50%. They, they went to zero. And yeah, most of the stuff, in my opinion, is going to go to zero. And if, even if you look at it from a competitive perspective, one of those charts where, you, where, where people break different currencies into different functional areas like stable coins and IoT coins and NFT coins and all that, like even if you look at it, there's just so much supply and the barrier to entry is nil. If you can convince 20 people to kick in a couple bucks, you know, you can build a website, get your Discord up and... There's nothing. It's really easy to create an ERC twenty. So um, most of this stuff is going to zero, and the really 
unfortunate thing is when you see somebody on YouTube or, you know, uh, you know, medium or wherever saying this is, you know, a blue chip project. These guys have a blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. A lot of people can say that. And a lot of people do say that. And most of them, uh, won't last. Um, mm -hmm. have, okay. So that's, that's most of the stable coin stuff. Um, I think it's worth explaining layer twos. If you're, if you think, yeah, you're right, I think so too, especially if for those who, uh, since many people who listen to this are, let's say, the uninitiated in the crypto, they might know more about NFTs and cryptocurrency. Can you explain a little bit about what a layer two is? And then we can yeah, go into so, what's going to happen to those. Okay, great. So, you know, Bitcoin came out as the first cryptocurrency. Uh, and essentially, it's a, it, it's a store of value. Um, uh, eventually, you not that far thereafter, um, Vitalik Buterin and, 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 and uh, primarily, but some others, uh, posited the notion of, of a different model where they would create a cryptocurrency that was essentially the gasoline or the oil of a new type of, uh, of, of environment. Think of it as sort of the app store um, where you could build a bunch of apps in this decentralized uh, environment um, and they would be called dApps, decentralized apps, but they would use a cryptocurrency as the, 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 the fee that would be the toll it would be what would make this stuff work. So you could buy access to dApps uh, and sell access to dApps using this new currency. And then the network would also charge you a fee in that currency for the various actions that it had to take, which is, and, and without going into it, you know, the, the, there are miners and there's a, a huge infrastructure of computers out there and it's decentralized. So, you've got all those computers needing to get paid to do work. And so they would be paid through this gas. Well, that was the theory and the, the currency was called Ethereum. Um, and so Ethereum became the number two and is still the number two cryptocurrency. Um, but it's very different from Bitcoin. The, the thesis is different. What it does is different. The, it's more volatile. But um, over time, and you know, this gets more into the stuff that your, your, your folks may know about. So, um, you know, assuming they know about CryptoKitties, um, when the first major wasn't called really an NFT project at the time so much, but when 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 CryptoKitties, which was by Dapper Labs, who went out to do Top Shot, came out and ran on Ethereum, there was so much activity on the network that it ground to a halt. And the way that the system worked was, if um, I buy a CryptoKitty from Phil for fifty dollars, I'm going to have to pay a certain amount of Ethereum. Again, the best analogy is like gasoline to drive you from one place to another. In order to get the, in order to get the crypto kitty from Phil's wallet into mine, we have to pay the people who run the computers, and so that was paid in Ethereum. And so, as the price of Ethereum, as the network ground down, the amount of gas that was required started to jump, and the network slowed down. So, crypto kitties basically brought Ethereum to an utter halt and it was sort of a catastrophe but also an amazing triumph because it worked like the whole idea that you could have a decentralized application running on ethereum and that people would pay in ethereum um it worked and so that was amazing right the problem was that it was inefficient and so um a series of other projects uh which had already started got a real shot in the arm and so uh, what they did was they took the basic Ethereum code and they modified it um, to try to reduce the gas fees and make the network more efficient. 
everything else, like it's a matter of subjectivity. Like if you know somebody who has a project, you know, that you, you may say, wow, this one's re- really good, but um, uh, we're not doing video now where I could show you like a visual representation of the markets. It's a bloodbath. Everything's down. Um, so that's, that's the layer twos. Uh, I guess going on to NFTs, that's the most speculative because right. there's really no, and you know, I mean, I'll ask you, let's, let, let's play devil's advocate. So if, I mean, I, I was going to ask you to pick a collection, but you may not want to. Um, um, so I'll, let's just pick board apes for, for argument's sake. So mm-hmm. when one buys a board ape, like what do you like? And I'm, this isn't a loaded question, but like, let's t- let's look at it. What do you get when you buy a board ape? I mean, really, board apes are just about getting to hang out with other people that have board apes, and then trusting Yuga Labs to drop you cool stuff, right? Right. So it's so we don't really know what the market value of that kind of a community is. I don't. I mean, you may you know you spend a lot of time in. In, in, in you know in social so i like I, I can't think of an analogy for how much that's worth that's the first part the second part is really subjective like what what are they going to drop when are they going to drop it is it going to be good nobody really knows uh to some extent mm-hmm. so you got to believe it's it's it, it, it right. there is a certain quality in nft collections where you know i think the artistic thing is valid it's like um, there may be an artist that you love. Like I have a, a friend whose paintings I buy. I think they're fantastic. Is he going to be ever like hot in the you know traditional market? I don't know. I didn't buy them because of that. I think that aspect of NFT buying is really, really fucking awesome. I think buying items because you think that they are supporting something you believe in or you like the work of that artist, I think that's great. Buying it with the expectation of massive appreciation, that's fraud. And it's especially mm-hmm. fraud in a market where everything else is going down. So like, uh, you know, sort of popular press articles, it, it kind of, and I, I mentioned this to you last year when we were working together, like at the point where there were popular, where there were articles in the popular press every day in places like Ford, in Forbes saying why you can't afford not to get into the, uh, why, you, you know, why you can't afford to miss the NFT boom, the NFT boom and what it means for your portfolio. That's like, you know, that's like the, the old story about like when you're, when the, when you get into a cab and the cab driver gives you a stock tip, that's like the best tell that we're going to have a recession, like things top out. And, and right. so that, that was not good. That was an indication that, Things were getting too frothy. If you want to buy it because you think it's cool, I think that's awesome and that's great. And I'm a big believer in that, as you know, over the long term. But buying them, expecting them to appreciate. I mean, I don't know. What have you seen in terms of evidence of that? Like, what's been your experience? Yeah, no, I think that the... I'm I'm kind of hoping that this is the death of purely speculative NFTs, like everybody rushing for the hypiest drop, trying to flip after a day. I mean, that's been the market for over a year now. That's been what's really been the driver I'm ready for something where they're investing in smarter companies that are using NFTs and really interesting art. And I, I'm excited for that. And I think that one thing that feeds that that story still can and has to exist is if you just look at fundraising that's even happened the last couple of weeks since the downturn, Energy Core just announced a $50 million raise around NFTs. Um, I believe they're called OX or Zero X which is another kind of NFT company, $70 million. I forget the name of it, but it's like a Web3 solutions company just raised $250 million and it was announced a couple days ago. 
this is there's still an incredible amount of investment here but generally it's around this idea of like not just oh i have a marketplace here's money but now it's i have a specific focus on this thing that's going to be used in games or be able to be used to launch blockchain projects easily it feels like it's now normalized and these feel like real companies again instead of just like launch an ape and make some money if that makes sense yeah i mean uh i would talk to you about it but uh so i'm working on a game and it's mm -hmm. uh with a a friend who's a big hollywood producer who had an idea and had a relationship with a uh, a chain and um i was a game producer i started i was a game producer at disney and then uh and and with blizzard and so like I was saying to a couple of guys that I used to work with back in, you know, in the nineties, like a lot of this, what's old is new is starting to feel very reminiscent to conversations that we had when we went from like the real first person shooter, completely dominant era to casual came in and women got more involved and things like that. And so um, I, I think there, there's all sorts of segments that, um, that, do have an opportunity for this technology and we're, and it's going to happen. And I think, yeah, like investors are bullish because like we're, you know, we're, we're going into an increasingly digital world. Why would anybody not assume that kids are going to buy more digital artifacts than their parents? It's just right. a matter of time. Most of it is going to go to zero, but the new Amazons, um, you know, the next Facebook, the next Amazon, the next Google, um, they're they're coming and they're not going to necessarily be who you expect. So it's endlessly fascinating and fun in this space, you know, when it's not harrowing and nauseating and, and gut wrenching, you know, because you're, you're watching your money go down the drain. Um, it's really interesting to see what's going to work um, and what's not. It's funny, after we worked together last year, as you know, I spent a lot of time in DeFi and, and it was fascinating. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's so many really cool, interesting products and, um, you know, um, some of the mechanisms, once you get into actually the trading and the way that uh, one product is related to another and the way that there's an ecosystem where there'll be a, an NFT coin or, or currency and it's related to this other thing that provides liquidity. And then when you trade this, you get an APY in return. It's really endlessly fascinating. And like, obviously, that market is 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 in the crapper too right now. But um but you see these possibilities. I, you probably have the same experience. You see these glimmers. I mean, that's why you get into show business, right? Because you mm -hmm. see this thing and you just go, oh, my God, that's magnificent. And it makes right. you forget everything else for me. You go, oh, my God, that's such a great idea, you know? And and then, you, you know, you, you try and figure out how to make those things real. And I think there's a lot. I do think, you know, for all the scammers and all the incompetence, there's a lot of people out there getting the religion of, Money has been digitized. It's going to continue to be digitized. That's a big thing. You know, digital media certainly was as big as we thought. Um, and so why wouldn't digitizing money change the entire landscape? There's going to be really cool stuff. It's going to be, I think, probably a pretty ugly period, you know, sure. um, like the, the, you know, the economic outlook, you know, but recessions don't necessarily even last that long. Yeah, will we have a recession? Yeah, maybe. But if we're in one now, that doesn't mean it won't be over, you know, relatively quickly. Um, so there's a lot of good news. I mean, I think like one one like if there's the last thing on sort of that macro theme, um, if the interest rate hike when the interest rate hikes stop and the market price is in that they've gone up as high as they are, 
and the Fed is not going to act more. And there's some, you know, really good guys that I follow that are saying, you know what, it's already baked in. They just don't know it yet. We've already, we, it, it's already turning around. Like employment's good. There's good signs of things. Um, so, I mean, yeah, it's probably going to be crappy for a little bit, but I don't think it's going to, you know, I don't, it's not going to change the long term. I think that's a wonderfully hopeful note to end it with. And that half hour flew by. But Seth, if people want to glean your wisdom or reach out to you for a project, where should they hit you up? Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Phil. It's always fun. Um, yeah, the best way to get me is at my email address, which is, which is Seth, S-E-T-H, at uh, SethShapiro.com, S-E-T-H-S-H-A-P-I-R-O. Uh, on Twitter, I'm Seth Shapiro on TV. On Instagram, I'm Seth Shapiro, but there's a scammer that I can't get rid of. So uh, like if, any, if, if, if somebody with a name really close to mine asks you for money, that wasn't me. Um, but yeah, like I'm on all the channels and always love to hear from any friend of Phil's. I love it. Thank you so much, Seth. Appreciate your time. Thank you, Phil. See you soon. This episode of NFT Stories podcast is hosted and produced by me, Phil Ranta. Theme music is by Mike Constantini, and we're made possible by our friends at We Are Verified. This episode has now officially been minted. See you at the next drop.